20 race wins, 23 poles, and 20 fastest laps out of 30 races. Those are the very impressive stats from the Persia 908 HID FAP, the diesel Le Mans prototype from French manufacturer Perzo. That is today's focus of the Clip in the Apex podcast. So the story starts in the year of 2005, the year where the Airbus A380 would take its first flight, the year the International Olympic Committee announces that London will host the Olympic Games for 2012, and the year where Chelsea would become the winners of the Premier League. It was also the year where Peugeot announced it will make its return to Le Mans to reach the former sports car glories it did with the 905. This process would begin quietly, and by October 2005, Bruno Famin, sorry if I pronounced the name wrong, it's a French name, joins the project as technical director, and was immediately tasked with building the team. So that's what he went and did, getting the following people. He went and got a chief designer in Pablo, or Paolo, Conte, 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 head of aerodynamics, or head aerodynamics, Gulliam, Cantalani and engine designer Claude Gullis. I probably just mispronounced the names really badly, but you know, moving on. Let's not think about that. With these recruitments made, the work on the car started in January, January 2006. So, according to Peugeot, about 500 hours were spent designing the shape of the car which is about 21 days if you just do it in 24 hours a day or 62.5 work days which is just over two months which is in my opinion still very fast to get the shape of the car of course it's not the whole car but that's still pretty rapid so basically by June Persia announced they're going to show the chassis and the project details with a full concept car being unveiled later in the year in October. However, like usual, concept cars don't look like the final car, and their concept car did not look like the final car. Missing a couple of key details, like the car's a closed cockpit car, but their initial concept car was not, and their car did not have a raised nose, but the final car did. Powering the beast was a 5.5 litre V12 turbo diesel engine. Yes, I said that correctly, V12. And it sounded absolutely insane. <laughs> it was featured also a diesel particular filter, which is why the term FAP, yes, the term FAP was added to the car, which is technically an acronym in French, they say, A, for filter A particulates, particulates, because you need to get those particles out. <laughs> and now I was added basically to the car's name at the end. Uh, the engine filtered a completely aluminium engine block. 
and was designed with a 100 degree V angle in order to reduce the engine's overall center of gravity. Now this is just due to the reason of high pressures and temperatures in diesel engines. That's just the nature of them because obviously they don't really have spark plugs. They kind of self-ignite their fuel just due to high pressures. And because of this, they need very robust cylinder head designs. And this can induce weight. And weight higher up raises your center of gravity, which is not what we want in a race car. We want it as low as possible. So obviously the way you quick way to do that is to increase the V angle. I wouldn't say quick, but the optimum solution they found. The engine had four valves per cylinder and dual overhead cans. It also featured Bosch direct injection as well as two breathers with a 39.9 millimeter air intake as the regulations said they should. And it also featured Bosch MS-17 engine management. Whoever knows what the engine management is, I don't think you can buy one today, but you know what? It's what they had. They also had a six into one exhaust manifold. Uh, which exited out of the rear wheels, or not actually out of the rear wheels, in front of the wheel, I should say. That would actually be a cool design, exhaust out of the rear wheels, like blown exhaust, no, like blown wheel nuts in F1, but instead of ducting air, or ducting exhaust. Ah, uh, no, that sounds quite silly, but you know what? Who cares? <laughs> All this resulted in about 700 horsepower, or 512 kilowatts, and 1200 newton meters of torque, which is an absolute insane amount of torque, but that's just what the car was outputting. Obviously, to make sure the car stopped at the end of the straight and didn't careen off the track, it was featured with ventilated carbon brakes, with the fronts having a diameter of 380 millimeters, and the rears having a diameter of 355 millimeters. So these are some big discs. Like, seriously, seriously big this. I know. I don't have a ruler on me right now. So I can't really give you, like, a... Oh, I know. There's one, of, there's one over here. I found a ruler now. 380 millimeters. That is absolutely massive. That's, like, 30 centi... That's over 30 centimeters. Imagine that. It's bigger than a... The baked disc is bigger than a 30 centimeter ruler absolutely insane the brake discs are bigger than a 30 centimeter ruler go and grab a 30 centimeter ruler from anywhere your your, your kid your your drawer your, your i don't know just find go to go to tesco's and buy one and just imagine a brake disc a disc a pretty light one as well made out of carbon that's bigger than your ruler and that's how big the brakes were absolutely big now, other car features and basics, you know, was obviously the wheels were made out of magnesium and were 18 inches. So, again, pretty big wheels. No, not really. Probably pretty standard. Some people have got 18 inch rims on their cars right now. I don't own a car, but that's a useless fact I'm just telling you right now. Also, the car had a total length of 4,610 millimeters, which is quite long for a car but again race cars are usually like that and a width of two meters so the car is taller than me if you flip it on its side and no i'm not two meters i'm just under actually i'm nowhere near under <laughs> nowhere near two meters what am i 
Wait, I'm six foot three, so that's about 193 centimeters. Okay, I'm fairly close to two meters. So, you know, fairly wide car, that's what we're saying. The height of the car was about 1,030, not about, it was 1,030 millimeters. And the wheelbase was about 2,950 millimeters with a front overhang of 910 millimeters and a rear overhang of 750 millimeters. The estimated weight for the car in its 2007 spec was 939 kilograms with a tank capacity of 81 liters. Damn one, 81 liters. The car also featured front, length front and rear suspension, so frick, front and rear interconnect, ooh, and self-locking diffs. Also, the car, or diffs, not diffs, it's only rear-wheel drive. <laughs> so, the car also featured traction control and a push-to-pass system because, you know, the go-faster button. Every car needs a go-faster button. Your car needs a go-faster button. The bus you get into work needs a go-faster button. Pretty much everything needs a go-faster button. And this car also had a go-faster button. So when it came to the big French classic for the French manufacturer, yes, Le Mans, the race worth winning, the race spending your entire life trying to win, the race that will make you a great. Well, they didn't have that much good luck to really because it was kind of a love-hate relationship for Persia at the moment. Their return to Le Mans was not really ideal. Back in the day, they were in a lover's relationship, you know, giving stuff to each other, winning races. It was it was the thing. But lately, the track hasn't really been... Ta- the race was not the track. The race hasn't been too kind to them. And as Dal talk about four years, it was a roller coaster of up and downs. And oh, we'll just talk more about it in just, just in a sec. So in the first year of the cars winning, 2007, 2007, the car's pace was very strong, like very strong. It got pole position and the gap between their car, the 908, and Audi's car, the R10, which had been running for a couple of years now, was about five tenths or five point seven five tenths, seven thousandths and two one hundred thousandths or ten ten thousandths. But over half a second was the gap between them and the R10. And when it came to the race, things didn't turn out as ideal as qualifying, as it was still damp from the rain early in the day. So basically, the race went a bit like this. After they, the, the, the flags went green, the 908, the number 8 was leading, but it overshot the first chicane, the Dunlop chicane, which is pretty much, oh my gosh. In the end, it concedes the lead to the chasing Audi. And as the race went into the night phase, the number eight just suffered a rear wheel, rear wheel hub failure, which meant it had to go to two lengthy pit stops in the in the garage and basically lost time, conceding now second place again to the next Audi, the, the number one Audi. The other Persians were also losing time and basically Persians' chance of winning became lesser and lesser, or I shouldn't say lesser, but they just they just had no chance at that point. And then Audi took a victory. So they had good pace, but again, when it didn't seem to rain, they didn't seem to have the pace. And this will come back to haunt them later on. And they just didn't have the luck or the reliability. And that was 2007. But they will be back the next year for revenge. 
the year is 2008. After the disappointment of the first year at Le Mans, Peugeot were serious this time. If they weren't serious last time, they were definitely serious this time. They bottled all the stops. They were ready to win. They were out for blood. They knew this was it. Well, not it completely, but they wanted to win now. They, they, they've been waiting long enough. So they brought three cars this time. Three cars to battle the track. To enter the battlefield and face the Audis. And in testing, it was looking good. They had a small accident. I wouldn't say small. It wasn't actually small, but they had an accident. But they, they, they overcame it. And they were ready to win. They were ready to win this time. And in qualifying, they did something absolutely outstanding. They locked out the first three positions. They locked out the first three positions. Audi couldn't do nothing about that because the gap was too big. The gap was absolutely massive in qualifying. The fastest Peugeot had a gap of 5.334 seconds to the nearest Audi. Audi could do nothing about it. They completely lost on pace. So going into the race, last year, the year before, they lost on the first lap. The Audis overtook them when the Peugeot overshot, but this time they wouldn't do that. They would all survive and start lapping the track at an absolutely rapid pace. Three seconds a lap faster than the nearest Audi and two seconds a lap faster than the other two. Nadi could do nothing about it. But things would start to take a turn for the worse as the race went on. And it started with the leading car. In the early hours of the race, the car was shown the technical flag. It was told to go into the pits and fix its headlights. In doing so, it lost time. Once we reached the halfway mark of the race, 12 hours in, it looked a bit like this. The number seven Peugeot was leading, the number two Audi was second, and the Peugeot number three, the number nine, was third. Also, the second half of the race, it would start to rain. And with the rain, Audi got their biggest break of all. Their pace was just better. It was significantly better. And the Peugeot could just do nothing about it. They were struggling. So even when they came into the pits to get high downforce parts, high downforce nerds and tails, it wasn't enough. They still struggled to improve their wet pace. It, it just, they couldn't do nothing about Audi's pace. The number two of Audi of Alec Manish would overtake the leading Peugeot and build a gap to the full lap. The rain would stop but then we'll start again. And with two hours to remain, one of the Peugeot would say, you know what, I ain't gonna come in, I'm gonna stick it out. But they would spin. This was disasterful for Peugeot. Their car, the faster car, by miles, just could not get a break. It rained and they were nowhere. The, the Weber stopped them from winning. And at the end, the Audi number two won the race. And Peugeot was second and third. They've lost. They had lost fair and square. They lost in probably the worst way possible, to be honest. Having the faster car by miles, having pole position, having the first three positions, and they still could not win. Because remember, you don't win Le Mans. Le Mans chooses who he wants to win. That's a strange thing I just said, but, you know. But they would try again in the next year. And the next year is when they finally got their lucky break. 
2009. This is the time. You get try, try, try again, and eventually you win. They'll say, and this is their year. Bowser bought three cars this time, three factory, and they also sold a car to Cascarola Sport, a 2000 spec, neither way, which is still a pretty damn fast car. Audi also bought a new car, the Audi R15 TDI. New rules meant the cars were slowed down, but qualifying again was extremely strong for the Peugeot, getting their third consecutive pole in the last three years. Their nearest competitor, one of the R15s, was only able to get within seven tenths of them. While the other Peugeots, though, they locked out the third, fourth, and fifth position. Even with Audi's new car, the 908 still had a pace advantage over the R15. The lack of testing meant they struggled to get any good setup out of the R15, with the Audi driver's complaint of understeer in the aero package from Le Mans and the cars were just not able to double stim, so they had to take more stops. The writing was on the wall. This was their best chance to win, Peugeot, and they took it. They took this opportunity. They maintained a pace that the Audi struggled to maintain, only the smallest blip in their victory being a small incident with the number 8 away and the Pescarota Sports 908 which meant they both lost time and eventually the number 8 908 dropped out the race altogether. But Audi would soon hit trouble. The highest placing Audi would lose a lead, lose a lap to the leading 908, which eventually go on to win the whole thing in a Peugeot 1-2. They had done it. After two years, they had done it. They had finally won Le Mans. And this is after so many years before. But it wouldn't be all great. The year 2010 would be an absolutely terrible year for them. It would be worse in 2008. It would be worse in 2007. It was a year to forget. Audi bought and revised R15. But the 908 was still the car to beat. With a mega pace in qualifying, locking out the front and second row, it looked like they were the favourites. They were going in with the faster car, knowing that Audi most likely couldn't match their pace. But things wouldn't end that way. Things wouldn't be looking bright. Because... Even though they locked out the row, front and second row, they had no reliability. It was absolutely horrible. One 908 had a suspension failure, and the rest of the 908s had bottom end engine issues. People were saying it was Conroy issues. These issues were terminal, meaning that none of the 908s finished the race. They were wrecked. They got destroyed. Not by pace, but... But just by... Pure reliability. It was a kick in the teeth. After the glory of 2009, they had reached a bigger low than before. And that would be the end for this edition of the 908. Rules were changed in 2011, meaning they had a revised version without the V12, but instead a V8. 
they would have one more chance to win them all, but it didn't really work out. Again, issues of reliability and the Audi's just being better in the wet and having better strategy just mean they didn't win 2011 either. That was that for the car because they wouldn't return to 2012 when they're racing on hybrids either. So that was the end for the 908. A, a pretty nice sounding car. A car that was, I would say, had a good livery and a good scheme, but didn't have the luck or the reliability when it needed to to win Le Mans maybe more times than more times than what's actually represented for the car. Also, while they didn't have success at Le Mans, they did have success at the Le Mans Series Cup. They've basically won it multiple times now. So they have got that. I think they've won it three times, three team championships, three constructors championships, and only two drivers championships. So that's the Le Mans Series uh, two wins at the Le Mans series and one win at the Intercontinental Le Mans Cup. So, yeah. That was the 908. That was Peugeot. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Cleveland Apex podcast. Am I really back? I don't really know. Uh, obviously, in October last year, I kind of just stopped out of nowhere. That was kind of my fault. Then we went into exams. So I don't need to do that much. But, you know, I'm working on things in the background, working on scripts and still writing stuff. Just need to record some stuff and get more organized. And, you know, we'll be back whenever. I don't know when that is. Hopefully soon. Thank you for listening. And, you know, I hope you enjoyed that. I don't know what we're going to do next time, but it'll be something good, I think. Thank you and goodbye.